the gimp is actually the good guy. <laughs> the gimp is innocent. He did nothing wrong. What should I do? Should I become a priest? Should I move to Arkansas? Should I become a pirate and just start stealing movies from the internet? Now the story of an eclectic fan base who lost touch with reality and the one podcast that somehow holds them all together. It's the Substandard Expanded Universe. You are listening to the fourth penultimate episode of the SSEU podcast. The SSEU is the internet's premier podcast dedicated to brackets, counting, and poop culture from a substandard perspective. You can find us wherever you normally find podcasts, and on Twitter, where we give you a few free tweets and then ask you to subscribe to our monthly physical tweet 11 times a year in your mailbox. You can also email us at sseupod at gmail.com. This week's episode had an unfortunate technological mishap, which means that part of it has been lost forever. Uh, We have managed to recover most of the content and we'll dive straight into a segment with Chris attempting to start a digital advice column. Enjoy. So I decided why not start an advice segment on the show without any experience because I have self-esteem, because that's what my parents gave me. So I reached out, I put out my shingle, as it were, and advice seekers flooded my inbox with requests. And we only have time to really deal with one one email this week. So I'm going to read it, and then I was thinking each of us could kind of weigh in with some advice. Does that sound good to you guys? Yep. Love All to. right. Again. Dear SSEU Podcast, I am a conservative Roman Catholic, Knight of Columbus, Nicolas Cage superfan, working... <laughs> liberal New York City. I've tried all the dating apps, but I've had very little luck. I dated this one interesting-looking girl that all my friends said was really cute, but that didn't really work out. But more than anything, I struggle with the liberal milieu that I have to deal with every day. Everyone I assumes that I'm to the left of Stalin like they are, and I feel like it would be easier for me to come out as gay in a red state than for me to come out as a conservative in Manhattan. I feel like people would curse at me and even throw things at me, much like when I'm at SSEU cons and give an impassioned defense of the prequels, except even worse. What should I do? Should I become a priest? Should I move to Arkansas? Should I become a pirate and just start stealing movies from the internet? Please give me some wise advice. This is no joking matter. Sincerely, Pensive in New York. So if we could give Pensive in New York maybe a pseudonym so we don't have to say Pensive in New York a million times, can we just make up a name for this guy? Um, Matt? Let's, uh, let's call, sexy let's call AF? Him, let's, call him, let's call him Creven. <laughs> can we call him Creven? Creven? Yeah. Okay, so well, what, what advice would we give to Creven? Uh, go get admitted at the nearest mental hospital and hope for the best. Okay. Um, do you have anything other than to admit yourself, to commit oneself? Uh, are there buses where you live that you could accidentally walk in front of? That's that's what I was thinking. <laughs> walk in front of a bus. All right. Um, all right. I, I feel like we're really good at this advice-giving business. Uh, <laughs> I was going to say pirate as many movies as you can, that it's a waste of time to pay for DVDs. Run for Run for mayor. Steven, do you have any advice for Creven? Oh, man. I would say maybe go into the priesthood because everything else sucks. Wait, you said Creven likes the prequels and Nicolas Cage? Yeah. Aren't you a fan of both of those things? Yeah, he does sound kind of like me. My life is more put together than this Creven, so I I would Would say... Would you ever think about dating an interesting-looking girl? Nah. Okay. <laughs> okay. All right. Been there, done that. I, I, I'm, I'm done with that. I'll, I will amend my advice. I would say get on Catholic Match, make a lot of Marianne Williamson memes. Just make sure to put the the Catholic Match um, handle on on the meme, and um, you'll be you'll be good in no time. I don't think you have a handle on Catholic Match. I think it's just. Your first name. I don't think there's a, a specific site that you can you can reference elsewhere. Well, that so, so you're not you're not like I'm uh, not what Nick Cage fan 
one, two, three. <laughs> no, I think you're thinking of something like Plenty of Fish or something, where you have pseudonyms. Plenty of Fish is apparently garbage. Okay, transition. Right. Hey, hey, guys. <laughs> like, listen, I think we rocked that advice segment. I'm excited for future, um, because I just think we're really good at this. I think I think we have a future in, in advice giving. I, I think so too. I think my advice was the best. Um, well, wait, honestly, I think my I my advice would be to move out of whatever liberal blue state Creven lives in. I think that would be the best advice. And, and all and, three of you, all three of you live in red state, so I personally can't attest to that. But I'm assuming that would be good advice. We we uh, each love our our red state that we live in. Awesome. Well, I mean, what's funny is that I didn't even when when I received this. It's not that I wrote this on my own. Um, like I totally <laughs> didn't make this up. I didn't even realize that you were going to be on the podcast, Stephen. So what a what a pleasant <laughs> surprise that that you were here to to give advice to someone um, that's somewhat similar to you. I'm I'm grateful for that. Thank you for giving me that opportunity. Yeah, you're so thoughtful. That's what people always say about me. <laughs> As we know, podcasts do not happen for free. Uh, Ryan, would you like to uh, do today's ad or product review, wh- whatever it is that you have? So my understanding, Ryan, is that is that an advertiser actually reached out to us, and um, but before, like, we only want to advertise quality products. So so my understanding is that that you you tested out this product uh, to make sure it's quality before we recommended it to our valuable listeners. I'm testing it out right now. Okay. Which is why I'm so confused of what's going on. What's what's the product? Commentary recently got into the hardware game. And they released these new wireless earbuds. They call them J-Pods. Honestly, when they sent them to me, I thought they were, oh, great, iPods. I I, I didn't see the J- I read A- things AirPods. Airp- AirPods. Yeah, well, yeah, that's what I thought they were. I, AirPods. I read things too quickly often. Now, I know Chris has Apple AirPods, or he did before they got ran over in the movie theater parking lot. So <laughs> I thought I'd try out these J-Pods. So I put them on and tried listening to the Fifth Column podcast. I love the Fifth Column podcast. Uh, but I think there's something wrong with them. I couldn't hear Moynihan. <laughs> <laughs> I also like. I think like there's something that makes them like like they're. I don't know. I feel like this weird sensation. I'm wearing them right now. I feel this weird sensation on my tongue, and it makes my tongue like a little bit slower than it is normally. And I couldn't. Wait, is that moin- what caused Chris's? Is that is that what caused Chris's <laughs> disease recently? <laughs> oh shit! <laughs> Am I getting a sore to my tongue? I couldn't hear Moynihan or Kamel. All I could hear was J-Pod talking over the podcast. Like, I could hear them in the background, like, as I'm playing the podcast, but J-Pod was talking over them. So it was just, like, listening to the commentary podcast? And so, like, and his gale force breathing was even louder than usual. So did you, did you try you return did, them? I didn't pay for them, but I still want to return them and get my money back. Did, did you try listening to music at all with them? Yeah. I put on Biggie, and all I could hear was J-Pod commenting on Biggie. <laughs> He's like, I don't really like this. I don't, I've never heard this before. But, you know, he also he was just saying things like, rap isn't my thing. But, you know, let's get a 30,000-foot view of it. So I, what you're saying is we, we will not be advertising J-Pods. So, we'll not be endorsing these. It, it, I, can't, I can't recommend people buy J-Pods. Is so. this an anti-ad, then? Well, it didn't start out that way, but that's <laughs> the way it is. Definitely sounds like that. It is not the first time we have scared off advertisers. Hey, uh, but we're honest. We're never gonna we're never gonna steer you wrong. Yeah, you guys are genuine. I I listen to actual podcasts, and, and their their ad reads just seem so forced. What do you mean <laughs> actual podcasts? <laughs> Podcasts that are on Ricochet and that have Blue Apron as their sponsor, they don't like. Do they actually really like Blue Apron? Nah, I really don't. don't think they, so. They go out to eat to Georgetown cocktail parties every day. <laughs> they don't. They don't get Blue Apron. Wait, speaking of Georgetown cocktail parties, did you hear? I think I responded to one of your tweets with Andrew Egger, where 
people were bitching about him and the bulwark and I clearly I was like I was at a Georgetown cocktail party with him recently and we're totally exactly what you think we are. <laughs> Holy God. <laughs> Did you mention to your Facebook friends though? <laughs> I love you guys. Thank you for having me. On. <laughs> uh, <clears throat> okay. So I believe that we have all been to the movie theater and seen Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Uh, Chris, did Jordan see it? <laughs> she did not. She will not be reviewing this movie. What? <laughs> For Tarantino, it was pretty tame. Wait, uh, yeah, especially the flamethrower. Podcast to do. Well, if you, if if Jordan sat through the first like two hours of the movie, I think she'd be fine. She'd be like, "Why does that woman have pit hair?" because it's natural all right all right so fair warning there are going to be a lot of spoilers so if you don't like spoilers like a normal sane person you should turn the podcast off really screwed me here ryan i feel like has really sophisticated things to say about this movie because he was pretty angry at me upon my reaction I know, but he's going to pass out in about 10 minutes. I started drinking. I started drinking at like 10 o'clock. I should not drink all those margaritas. Uh, Steven, what did you think about Once Upon a Time in Hollywood? So when I first saw it, I thought it was good. I didn't think it was Tarantino's best. But then listening to a few podcasts, talking with some friends on Twitter like Ryan, I, I came to really appreciate what the movie stood for and, and how it played with the history of Sharon Tate and how it gave her a happy ending. So I, I actually really like it. I'm sure you're we're saying gonna... you're saying after talking to Ryan and hearing exactly <laughs> what Sonny said about the movie. Yeah, I didn't read what Sonny said about the movie. Sonny's piece in the Washington Post was fantastic. Yeah, it really was. And I read Uh, that after I chastised Stephen for (laughs) it was just like (laughs) okay. And this this weekend I've watched over half of Tarantino's filmography. And Right. And I also rewatched I rewatched Inglorious Bastards, Hateful Eight, uh, Reservoir Dogs, and Pulp Fiction. I've watched all of Tarantino's movies this weekend except Kill Bill and Inglorious Bastards, but I've seen both of those movies probably 20 times each. So here's a uh, disclaimer. I've never seen the Kill Bill movies, and I was not going to watch them this weekend. They do not interest me. Uh, In which way is it similar or not similar to the rest of his work? And is there another movie that you guys think it resembles more than others? It's a combination, I would say, of Jackie Brown and, I don't know, Inglorious Bastards. It's very straightforward in its storytelling, and then it has the revisionist history at the end. Right. None of Tarantino's movies are really that straightforward. I, I realized today, watch, rewatching Django, that Django is chronological. It, I mean, mm-hmm. it has a few flashbacks, but it's not broken up into chapters, whereas a bunch of his movies are. I, I rewatched Jackie Brown this afternoon mm-hmm. and that's because it was based on a novel by elmer leonard that it was it's completely chronological straightforward mm-hmm. it's a it's a crime movie yeah. that tarantino happened to direct yeah right. unlike say reservoir dogs or pulp fiction which right do not which, work as smoothly. yeah they play with time they play with character motivations it, it's it's broken up and in, in it pulp fiction would be if you played it chronologically, it would still be a good movie, but it it wouldn't have the same effect that it has broken up and rearranged and shown in a crazy order where where, where you watch it and you say, wow, how does this work when everything's out of order and the climax of the movie happens in the middle? <laughs> and the last shot of the movie is two guys wearing T-shirts walking out of frame <laughs> like it, it 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 blows my mind how it how it was made and and how it became such a hit. So I wasn't really listening to what you said, but (laughs) what what I'm getting from it was that the gimp is actually the good guy. (laughs) The gimp is innocent. He did nothing wrong. He's the hero. Okay. So, so Rose had never seen. So we went and saw once upon a time in Hollywood last week. And 
obviously she'd seen she she really liked uh inglorious pastors and hateful eight i think those are the only two tarantino movies that she'd ever seen though and so i had her rewatch with me reservoir dogs uh pulp fiction uh jackie brown is that the only three that we watched um that she hadn't seen before because we did rewatch hateful eight and inglorious pastors also she was not prepared for that <laughs> for that scene with the gimp in. <laughs> it's so completely random. <laughs> yeah, but it's I, also it's also it, it works. Oh, it it, 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 it totally works it, for that it's scene. Just like, but only an insane person could think of that and then also make it fit with the rest of the film. Right, right, yeah. See, wa- watching a bunch of Tarantino's movies this weekend. Tarantino, he, like, to be really frank, the word to describe Tarantino is masturbation. He's just completely... You do not want to take black light to his office. (laughs) All he he does is self-pleasure on screen, and he winds up making amazing movies, but he's such a dick, and it comes... Like, watch... Watching The Hateful Eight halfway through all of a sudden he's the narrator and he's explaining explaining things like oh look who poisoned the coffee and he, he just comes off so <laughs> smug <laughs> and it's like he's such an asshole but it's a, such a good movie but it's so <laughs> great yeah, yeah that yeah. we accept it just like walton goggins and uh, samuel jackson just who Wait, you know, speak. most of the movie were enemies, but then just sitting there together, dying, watching <laughs> a woman hang, is also so beautiful. See, the hateful eight has a completely separate meaning to me because Walton Goggins looks exactly like my ex-girlfriend's father. Oh my gosh! <laughs> my gosh! Are you serious? <laughs> and I fucking love that man. And he's similar in almost every way. Except he doesn't have the southern accent because he's from New Jersey. But <laughs> it's just I watch that movie and I'm like, Goodness man, me. that that also like, reminds that me of like how young you are. Like my like Rose's dad is like you know almost seventy years old, and you're like girlfriend looked like Walton Goggins. <laughs> All right, so Chris, I have a feeling that uh, you're the biggest Tarantino skeptic in the group. So. What did you think about Once Upon a Time in Hollywood? Okay, maybe that's maybe that's fair. Maybe that's true. Um, I I like Tarantino. I like Pulp Fiction a lot. I like I like Reservoir Dogs. I I, I here's the thing: is he is such a gifted filmmaker. The the scene with Bruce Lee and Brad Pitt throwing him into the car. Oh, that was I, great! I laughed out loud. Like that was one of the funniest scenes I've seen in a long time. It but was, apparently, it's it's problematic. Because problematic. His family of said that no one could beat up a. Not it wasn't even beat up. Like they each got a hit on each other. Yeah. But but like what was great about it was like was the way it was cut in with like why he could never work that job again. Yeah. <laughs> was that, like there's already a conflict with this woman and he just ruined her car by throwing Bruce and Lee into it. Bruce Lee. <laughs> yeah. There, there well, were maybe what's... I I saw it together with maybe ten other people. Uh, if that, and everyone laughed at oh, that scene. It was so I saw it in packed movie theater, and everyone laughed at that scene. It was it was outstanding, and and so like he is such a gifted filmmaker. So so I I loved Sonny's article in the Washington Post. It was it was really good. I appreciated so, the the, the idea of storytelling. However, I felt like this movie was somewhat masturbatory, like. To do a two-hour and forty-minute treatment to like there were scenes that, that you're like why do we need to watch Brad Pitt drive? I don't know. I love Brad Pitt driving though. This, yeah, I feel the with, opposite with the music, the '60s music playing, and him just driving. I I, I could have watched more of Brad Pitt driving to be honest. Right, with and you. I I don't think that see Tarantino is most excessive is when he's very wordy and very violent. And very much like in this movie, it was pedestrian. It was it was slow. Uh, it was like let's well, watch see, pedestrian. Pedestrian. Watch, no, it's not not, it was movie, definitely not, not pedestrian. A word talking about <laughs> with this movie, I, I really don't. Uh, this Chris, movie was uh, different Chris, than all of his other uh, movies. Yourself. Chris, mute yourself. For the rest <laughs> of 
This movie was different than all of his other movies, but sure, I would yes, say it was, sure. it was it was it was more rest- like the, it was more restrained than his other the movies. The whole Sharon Tate, the whole Sharon Tate like um, storyline, like he's never done that before. He's never done anything as like soft and touching as this that was before. his most selfless and movie. He, could, he proved that he could do it. Because this was, this was his like, most self selfless movie. It, I feel like really Sonny was. was very charitable where he was like he gave Sharon Tate, you know, this alternate history. He gave her a personality. Um, as I was watching the movie, I'm and, like, and I'm like, he's a misogynist, that, but he okay. gave her no lines. We're watching her like look in the mirror and be vain. And like he, he gave her very like he gave her very little to do as far as like. But she didn't need it because the real Sharon Tate was on screen. Because she didn't have to do, she didn't. He didn't need Margot Robbie to do a whole bunch because he was showing the real Sharon Tate, and he he actually has like affection for that movie that Sharon Tate was in, and he thought that he he genuinely thinks that Sharon Tate could have been a great like actress, comedic actress, or just like even even a dramatic actress when like because he showed that like she bought that book Tess. And mm-hmm. um, she would have been the star of that movie if not if she hadn't been killed. And uh, like, I mean, that scene where she is watching herself and not saying anything, but then like kind of like acting out the kung yeah. fu move. Yeah. And then that was he, a great cuts, scene. He, he cuts to Bruce, Bruce Lee training her in those kung fu moves. Yeah. That that like that that was like almost tear jerking. So the point that Chris makes about the movie is probably also my biggest criticism of it is that uh, you have a lot of scenes and the, the overall feeling of it, the time it takes to drive around, uh, go to different places, whatever it is, a lot of it is who Quentin Tarantino is. Right. It is a cultural historian of Hollywood. He loves the idea of Hollywood, what Hollywood used to be. And that's what he wants to put on screen. And for, feet. <laughs> 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 uh, for those of us who aren't quite as in love with that, it might feel a little bit slow. You can cut scenes here and there and the movie wouldn't miss anything. But I will mm-hmm. say that it does help to create a lived-in feeling. Like, it actually feels yeah. like this is a place. This movie is actually showing you a real place that exists with all the characters in it, and that part is great. So, would you have cut 30 minutes, or... I probably would have. I, okay. I probably would have, but it did not feel like two hours and whatever. I guess if I had to redo the movie, I would have made the connection between Leonardo DiCaprio and Brad Pitt and Margot Robbie more explicit earlier on, because until the alternate history history where the Manson family attacks Brad Pitt instead of Margot Robbie, it it feels aimless. Like you don't know where it's going because. But is it is that part of the charm though? I mean, it is because I I I like what exists. I think if it was a little, it would be a little more. I don't know how to say it. it. It it's like it's a little aimless, but it's okay because that's the type of movie. But if you want something that's a little more concise, you would need it. Things to be cut out, like you wouldn't need Leonardo DiCaprio yelling at himself in the mirror, like I'm gonna kill, right. I'm gonna kill myself if if I don't get the scene right. It kind of seem, seems all over the place until the end, and then you realize, oh, it all meant something, but. Well, I see. I, I disagree. Like, like that—that that was a, a strong theme in the first two thirds of the movie. Is is Leonardo's decline? Like the first scenes are are Al Pacino describing, like what what should have been obvious to Leonardo DiCaprio, but wasn't. Was that like, hey, you're like you're just a bad guy in pilots, and like you you get to be in one show and then another and another. Like your career is is over. It's in decline. Your only option is to go to to Italy and 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 do some spaghetti westerns. And, and so that became apparent to Leo. And then, like, the next hour was uh, w- was him coming to terms with that. Right, but it still feels disjointed with the Manson family. Go Even on. though at the end it does come together, but it, it's still, if you look at the movie overall, it's still a bunch of, like, miscellaneous stories kind of com- coming together at the end. 
Yeah, I'm not sure I have a problem with that. I don't either, but Brad I... Brad Pitt visits the ranch. Or the... No, he, he, he does. I just, I just think that's what's preventing it from being in the top, like, three or four of Tarantino's movies. Because it, it's, it's a great movie. It's just, I think it's missing a little bit of cohesiveness. And maybe it's it's the rum that I can't think straight. <laughs> but, but 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 like we have several things going on that, that come together. So we have like, at the beginning we see uh, Leonardo DiCaprio's character um, kind of come like realize that he's an actor in decline. That that he's um, has, has to come to terms with that or deal with that and and like apply himself. But so I think this, sure I think this is a movie that take that's better watching it twice. Okay. Because I haven't seen it twice, so I've I've only seen it once. So I'm thinking back on it. I'm sure if I saw it again, now that I know how it ends, it it must feel more whole. I don't know yeah. if you guys agree or disagree. No, I I think it feels whole, especially like if you take the girls from the ranch, for example. They keep showing up throughout yeah. the movie in different parts and then they get the bigger and bigger role until the showdown at the ranch which Steven I understand is your uh, one of your favorite moments in the movie is when Brad Pitt beats up starts <laughs> to beat up hippies yeah that was uh, Tarantino colon owning the libs even <laughs> though I'm sure I, I think he's pretty much one of the libs yeah yeah uh, but yeah, th- no, that that seems very cathartic, especially because that guy did he he did something that was that was bad in the future. I know the the Manson family was involved in the assassination of Gerald Ford or the the attempted assassination assassination of him. I know that that one character that gets beat up by Brad Pitt was involved in one of the okay. many things the Manson family did. So yeah, it was pretty good watching him getting punched. <laughs> So, yeah. so I, I think the one thing we need we need to acknowledge is that um, Tarantino is a twisted freak, and that's what makes him a brilliant filmmaker. Well, he so doesn't like, he doesn't care if you've seen the the half in the bag by the Red Letter Media, uh, they went in their review of of Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. They they cut in a, an interview. I don't know when it was from. Probably when Kill Bill came out, or it, it was sometime in the in the two thousands. And Tarantino is just saying violence is good and this is great. And he just doesn't care. Like he he's liberal and he's woke, but he also doesn't care. So he's going to be racist in his movies and he's going to be violent and he's going to do a whole bunch of stuff that everybody else is scared of doing. But he doesn't care. So he uses it and it's still shocking. But it also comes off as, wow, this guy's kind of genuine <laughs> in his asshole wholeness at the end of the day it's a great movie yeah and, and i guess what i'm saying is like like his humor is so like it takes a twisted mind to come up with it and that's kind of what makes it so funny what well, kind of what makes the the final scene so good is that that um so brad pitt is 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 pretty much a stud like he threw bruce lee into a car like he's a stud, and the, the thing that that made it a somewhat fair fight was that like he decided that night to smoke an acid dipped cigarette, <laughs> and so like when he realizes that it's affecting him, like that was really funny, right? Yeah. But, but only a mind like Tarantino would come up with this premise that like oh that night he smoked an acid dipped cigarette and it was like whoa like he's like flapping his arm around, you know like <laughs> real like um and, and like he doesn't even. Re- know if these three intruders are real people right otherwise he would have thrown that he would have killed them all immediately even though one had a gun so out of the two main guys leo and brad whose performance do you like more i like brad pitt's more i i generally like brad pitt but i think leo's was was better just because like he like his his performance on set of that western both him struggling and then nailing that scene uh that was really good yeah, I th- I think he had a lot more to work with. Yeah, I think in terms of the story, or at least the main plot, Brad Pitt meant more. The the stuff that Leo does in the movie, like the scene when he completely trashes the trailer, mm-hmm. is is just amazing. Well, and and that scene with Oliphant where he gets like he's like line like it. it what's interesting is like there are some really 
that scene was a long take. And and I noticed in that film, there were a lot of long takes. Like, these weren't stitched together, um, I don't think. Um, like, there were just these lengthy takes. Like, that's... Uh, I don't remember that from from Tarantino films, but maybe that's his, maybe that's a thing he does. I don't know. Yeah. When I say there's there's stuff that could have been cut, there's just there's just a lot where nothing happens. It's just kind of setting the tone, setting the mood, like showing what it's like a day in the life. You know, driving sixties yeah. music that that seemed excessive to me. Which is Tarantino's express purpose with the movie is essentially just like a day in the life yeah. in Hollywood in 1969. Something else about the the movie that was interesting was the tone that it set from the beginning. Or even though like everyone is happy, they're dancing at the Playboy Mansion, uh, they're jetting off to Italy, whatever. Like it's sort of like happy, things are going well, but it still feels like partially because of the story that the movie takes place around. It feels like something bad is gonna happen. Ominous. Uh, yeah, and you just kept waiting for it and waiting until the end, and then you get a hilarious fight scene when some hippies get punched in the face. <laughs> or burned to a crisp. <laughs> or burned to a crisp. The flamethrower is probably my favorite part about the movie. <laughs> well, I mean, this the the what's the ranch? Is, is it called the ranch? What's what's that guy's? The, the ranch, ranch where the hippies live. The spawn ranch. Spawn um, ranch. Yeah. Like that was, I mean, the music and just like that was ominous. Like that was that was a, probably a few minutes too long, but it was still a very effective scene. Guess which movie was Tarantino's favorite to actually make? To make? Yeah. Like during production. Uh, Kill Bill? No. So he said that his favorite was actually The Hateful Eight. Uh, and <laughs> part of the reason was the, the script was part of it. But then they also had to, to film it on, on certain days. And it was so weather dependent when they were trying to shoot it that they had to get things done. During the day when they were shooting, they couldn't just go back to it the next day and things like that. And he said that he just had a really good time shooting The Hateful Eight, which uh, sadly rates fairly low on my list of Tarantino movies. I saw, I saw an interview with Margot Robbie, and they're like, what's it like being on a Tarantino set? And she was like, it's so great. Uh, every 40 ro- rolls of film that go in the can or whatever, wait, so I guess he doesn't do digital. Of course he doesn't. He's... Tarantino, um, uh, yeah, of course. like they, they they celebrate and throw a party and like party. And I'm like, because <laughs> you know, so many so many films are are just like part of the being on budget and on time is is like you stick to your forty day schedule. Like you don't pause to party. Wasn't he me too? There there were accusations from Uma, right? But I think she she came out against. She at first said something. Something that was like, oh, I was mistreated filming Kill Bill, but then she said, no, it was all at the end of the day building Maybe. towards a work of art. So I'm okay with Quentin, who's a friend, and I don't know. It was kind of contradictory, and I think it was more that he was friends with Harvey Weinstein, who produced most of his movies. I was listening to a podcast the other day where he got this question about Weinstein and the Weinstein company and how he feels about that. And his response was essentially, well, look, they financed these movies. They helped get them out there. And I, we all have to play the game. The girls had to pretend to be sexually attracted to him. (laughs) And we had to pretend to think he's funny and great. And cause that's, you know, yeah. At the end of the day, Hollywood is just bad. And yet, yet they like to, I mean, they're they're bad. They're, like they have the most like gender pay gap uh, of, of any of any uh, industry, and yet they gather annually to celebrate themselves and how woke they are. It's it's interesting. Stephen, you have seen all of Quentin Tarantino's movies, so you have a full ranking. <laughs> Do I have a full ranking? Uh, I could pull it up. Yeah. So starting from the worst of the best. Uh, this was after much soul searching this weekend after rewatching a few of his movies that I hadn't seen in a while. I'm going to say Never Nigh is Death Proof. It's not bad, but it's it's the only <laughs> I'm going to come off completely like an asshole here. But it's the only movie that has women as the protagonist and a bunch of women doing Quentin Tarantino's dialogue does not work, in my opinion. They just come off as annoying. 
So the first half of the movie is a bunch of women talking, and then Kurt Russell plays a stuntman who's a serial killer, and he kills all of them. And then the second half of the movie is a four new women talking, and then <laughs> Kurt Russell tries to kill them, and then they kill him instead. And it's two hours. And it was part of Grindhouse, which was... I, Robert Rodriguez did a zombie movie, and it was a whole big production. But by itself, it's really a lesser movie. I would say it's his only bad movie. So then I, at number eight, I would say Reservoir Dogs, which I know people love, but I really? rewatched it. I rewatched it this weekend, and I, I think it's promising, but I don't think it's... I think his other movies are so much better. Then I would say Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, which I think is good, but it's not... I don't know. It doesn't wow me like Tarantino's other movies. At six, I would say Django Unchained. Five, Hateful Eight, which I really like. Um, but if I want to be objective, I'm going to say Jackie Brown is better at number four. Yeah. Uh, I, I think The Hateful Eight is one of those movies that a lot of people probably haven't seen. Right. Either. Yeah, I, I would say The Hateful Eight, first of all, it's three hours long. And if if you go on Netflix, it's also a miniseries. They have two versions. There's one that's three hours, and then they have one that's four hours, and it's split up into four episodes. I love it. I'm I'm engaged no matter how, because he, he does get caught up in his monologues, and it, it's, a little, it's a little much, but I just love, love everything about it. Whereas Jackie Brown is his most normal movie <laughs> like i it, think that's fair it doesn't have his quirks it i mean it, it has some of it has a soundtrack and some of his shots there are close-ups of, of like doorbells and things but it it's really it's chronological and it, it's just an adaptation of a crime novel so it, yeah. it's very straightforward yeah are you still and have... it's great it, it is great and you still have one of the hallmarks of a tarantino movie where the the main characters just i don't know walk down a hallway and talk about what a sandwich actually is or something like right. like something that he would talk with his friends about he actually puts in the movie so it ha- like it's definitely a tarantino movie right. uh, even though it, even though it's more normal yeah it, it so it has his some of his quirks but it's not it it it's way more mainstream than the than the rest of his uh that is movies. Um, then at number three, I would say Kill Bill. Um, both movies combined. I would say the first one's better than the second, but together, because he considers them them one movie. They're just so Tarantino. They're with the homages to Kung, Kung Fu movies, and it's just so epic. And the Ennio Morricone music that he samples. It, I like to ryan who hasn't seen them i would say watch them kill bills are on the bottom of my list i did not enjoy them but i also haven't seen them in like 15 years or something like that right okay yeah it shows how <laughs> how much time is passed since they all right out. but but so it seems like we have uh, the same top two so right. my number my number two is pulp fiction okay so you have them flipped yeah, so my personal favorite is Inglorious Bastards, but I think the best is Pulp Fiction. If if you want to separate favorite from best, does that work on this podcast? <laughs> <laughs> best, I don't, I don't really think we dabble in quality. Okay, I think so, all right, firmly so, held opinions so Pulp, are seen as fact. <laughs> I, I think Pulp Fiction is a is a better mainstream movie. Like it, it's completely transformed film, and it was one of the most influential movies ever made. Yeah. Whereas yeah. *Inglorious Bastards* does not have that effect. *Inglorious Bastards* is just great. Yeah, like I wa- in every aspect. <laughs> I I watched *Pulp Fiction* for the first time last week uh, in preparation for watching *Once Upon a Time in Hollywood*, and uh, it it lived up to the hype. Like everyone, he have kept talking about it as one of the greatest movies made in the past few decades and watching it i yeah i think so like there are so many scenes in there so many pieces of dialogue that have become classic that it's it's an amazing movie i rewatched pulp fiction this weekend i haven't rewatched inglorious bastards because i've seen this so many times i would say inglorious bastards is in my top five favorite movies of all time 
but Pulp Fiction, I think, is the better movie in terms of just its scope, its its influence, its uh, just things being being iconic. Uh, some of like I I want Inglorious Bastards to be the Pulp Fiction like twenty years in the future. <laughs> uh, Chris, what's your favorite? Pulp Fiction. I, I like Inglorious Bastards, but it's interesting to me how many people I hear talk about that movie as their either their favorite or the one they think is the best. When I, I think Pulp Fiction really stands out to me as a complete work. Yeah, and and it has uh, all of the different characters in Pulp Fictions, all of these g- great actors putting in really good performances. Oh yeah, throughout. it's such a joy to watch. And, and you, have, you know these disparate things that all come together. Yeah, it's it's just brilliant. Yeah, yeah where, where I, I mean, I, I struggled a little bit with kind of just the revenge porn of Inglorious Bastards. Like, I it took me forever to even watch it. I'm like, okay, so like this fantasy of just like killing Nazis, this alternate history, it was just kind of kind of odd and strange. Um, uh, but, but then the execution and and just like the like the the way he does those scenes. Uh, like we said, Michael Fassbender's second best scene. Um, uh, um, among others, like, like, wait, don't, don't, don't you mean Ashton Kutcher? Ashton, Ashton, <laughs> yes, yeah, that's it. Was Ashton Kutcher? He spoke German. Yeah, I'm sorry, I mix those two up all the time. Yeah. is back for that. Kutcher and Fassbender. Sorry, Ryan. Yeah. Well, I think Inglorious Bastards has the character of Hans Landa, who's, if not Tarantino's best, he's in the top three of his of his best characters. So on a recent podcast, Tarantino has asked which of his characters that he's been thinking about the most since after a movie, Uh, and he said that he's probably Hans uh, Hans Landa. And his life in Nantucket or whatever it is that he moves to and what he gets up to. Uh, <laughs> With a giant swastika on his head. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he probably wears a hat. <laughs> Stephen, is that you uncorking more rum? Yeah, well, I actually, <laughs> I actually finished the plantation. So what, it's empty. Was now. it a full bottle when you started? No. Oh, it, no. No, it was not. <laughs> Uh, is Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, is it a contender for Best Picture this year? No. They're never going to give Tarantino Best Picture. I mean, I think it's a contender. I don't think anything else that has come out so far this year is anywhere close. I mean, Apollo 11 was something that whoa, I really whoa, whoa, liked, whoa, 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 documentary. Did you not see Aquaman? <laughs> I hated Aquaman. You know what's better than Aquaman? Little Italy. Which we haven't talked about. <laughs> but seriously, um, it, it will get nominated. So will Captain Marvel. But there will be some woke movie about maybe uh, a, a driver for uh, a black gay man who sing, who's a musician, uh, who goes this, to a hostel. This doesn't ring a bell. Right, yeah, I'm just throwing out like a hypothetical. <laughs> yeah. Like, if, if I'm the only person who liked that movie. Besides the Academy, which no, didn't, didn't Thomas like that? Picture. Thomas, didn't you like that? I thought it was okay. Oh, I thought you liked it. I don't know. I I didn't I didn't see it. It's obvious that Once Upon a Time in Hollywood doesn't really have the quote unquote right political message for the Academy. There's but no it, fish sex in it. No. And, it, and the message is own the libs. <laughs> yeah, I've beat up. <laughs> it's just killing hippies. <laughs> Maybe the the message is that things were better in the past or something. It's the best movie of the year besides Endgame, Captain Marvel, Aladdin, Toy Story 4, <laughs> and The Lion King. So the, it's, so it's the best non-Disney movie? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so the best good movie. Because Disney's is evil. Yes. When and, my, and my Quentin pod, Tarantino my, the first is episode good. of my podcast 
the first episode of my podcast was literally ranking the Disney movies because I'm a big Disney fan, but Disney is freaking evil. Okay, so in, in when, when you guys went to see Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, did you see the Cats trailer? No. No, it was oh. not playing when I went. It wasn't. I still haven't seen it. I still haven't much. actually watched it. I've seen it in still images, and I refuse to watch it. It is the most terrifying thing I've <laughs> ever seen. I have not seen Us. I have not seen – I'm not a horror guy, but I can't picture a movie more terrifying than Cats. Well, all right. Hereditary, the movie made by whoever made Midsummer. Hereditary is horrifying. Like the scariest. St- st- stellar, stellar stars guard. <laughs> can, I, no, yeah. can I tell you guys about what I watched tonight while you guys were watching Little Italy and whatnot? Well, sure. Ari Aster. Anyway, go on. I watched the Democrat Socialist, Democratic Socialists of America's <laughs> annual convention or whatever they call it. And how was uh, that? It was phenomenal. It was Better than Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. <laughs> Better than Captain Marvel. It was. It was. <laughs> it like if you submitted, just like I watched. I I am not even exaggerating. Forty minutes straight of the opening of the convention, just like the Roberts Rules of Order. It was the best thing I've seen in my life. Like it. If you could just like take two hours of that, it's the best movie ever. So, do you have any quotes for us? Like, well, so they open it up with all these rules. Um, they're like, okay, well, I mean, it kind of – it starts with, like, a good heart. So they're like, well, you know, we want to make this all accessible um, to people of all abilities. So, like, don't use the elevators. Only – you know, like, it's like all these rules. Like, don't do this. Don't do this. Um, and, uh, of course, like, um, get down to the, like, most minor offenses. They're like, people may be – um, startled by loud noises, so don't clap. Just wave your arms in the air like this. And the guy put his hands over his head, and he like picture like. Are you familiar with Tune in Tokyo? This Tokyo Drift. Old movie reference, but like <laughs> picture just like turning knobs. Like picture putting your hands over your head and turning like giant knobs. Yeah, it's sort of like doing jazz hands straight up. And they're saying don't don't clap. You might startle people. So do this. And so, like, at random points, if people – like, there would be this wide shot, and people would just be, like, putting their hands in their air in the air and waving them like they just don't care. Like, this was a thing <laughs> that happened all the time. Like, like in agreement, and then, like, if ever anyone would clap or, like, be like, yes! Like, someone, uh, like, run to a microphone and be like, point of order, don't do that. That was loud. That offended me. That scared me. Because, like, like, they're very scared about triggering people. So they were like – Okay, and if, if, if it's too loud for you here, we have a room where it's just the video, so you can go to that room, but just take the stairs, like leave the elevators for like people who really need it. Um, and there's also a room up there if uh, for people with like sensory issues, so like don't go in there if you have any aggressive scents. That's a word they used, aggressive scents, like you know deodorant or perfume. Like don't wear those in that room. Uh, there's but, but- a thousand delegates at this convention, and they spent 25 minutes just – like arguing about six seating, six delegates that were that were um, under like uh, like some people had objected to them, and just like the absurdity of like like nobody knew what was going on. They're like, so are we voting on this? It was amazing. It was riveting television. I'm a little amused, but I realized that you you haven't had any experience with this. So back in the day, I was the vice president of our student union at my Swedish university. I'm your best friend, yes. And we uh, went to um, national conventions for organizations that we were part of. And I've done all of these things. Like you put your hands up uh, instead of clapping and no, you have to be no, respectful and no. all of this. You like, participated in this? You, you have to do all of those things. Actually, I wasn't in the assembly that much. I was running around trying to put the budget together, trying to cut as much as possible. Uh, but yeah, that's those are the kind of things you do. So this isn't new. It's very common. It's like the worst possible student council nightmare that you can have. It was new to me, and it was it was it was amazing comedy that these people spent like took time out of their lives. 
to attend this convention, wave their hands in the air, and argue about which delegates were going to be seated, um, make motions. Like, and it, like, no one knew what they were doing, so, like, there were all these, like, points of clarification, and anyone could go to a, a microphone at any point and be, like, point of clarification, point of, uh, in, like, be like, yeah, you, you just use the word guys. Like, that's offensive to me. And they're like, oh, okay, I'm sorry. So, like, you'll see, like, minute and two-minute long clips of just the absurdity of this circulating on the internet. It is amazing. Click on everyone because <laughs> it's hilarious. Like, as soon as we get off, uh, <laughs> as soon as we get off the podcast, <laughs> I am going to go back where I left off and just keep watching. That is all the time we are giving to this episode. If you would like to give us some celebratory jazz hands there at give us some, some cock money or, or just some money. So... So, Thomas, we're going to talk about Little Italy in, in another podcast. <laughs> yeah, my man. All right. Tell you a story Every man ought to know If you want a little loving You gotta start real slow She's gonna love you tonight now If you just treat her right now I'll squeeze a real jump Gotta make her feel good Tell her that you love her when she's home with with Hayden Christensen and dealing right. with everything, so and she, and she yeah. and she's complaining to her boss in in London, like, oh, I don't know if I can get back to London because I I like I like a guy, and Jane Seymour, who's a Bond girl and she's like seventy years old now, and she was in Wedding Crashers, I guess. What do you mean you said, guess? <laughs> I think she was. Was she? That was her best role. What? No, 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 no. Uh, she was in Live and Let Die. Remember, I'm a Bond fan. Remember, Ryan referenced my... Don't, my, don't say I guess. I guess she was in Wedding Crashers. <laughs> she was solitaire. She got swindled by Roger Moore, which makes her an amazing person. Anyway, sure. in Little sure. Italy, she says to Maybe. Emma Roberts, Emma Roberts is... is waffling about whether she should go back to London or she's, if she should stay in Ontario, Canada and stay with Hayden Christensen and Jane Seymour says the line is there a penis more pressing than my menu <laughs> and I think that is one of the best lines in cinematic history I don't care what anyone says, the quality of Little Italy, the movie the movie might be, might be complete shit but that line is well, amazing. I think of most venues as penises. So. Do you remember? Do you do you remember what Emma Roberts says in response? <laughs> no, I have no idea, and I watched it this afternoon. She, she says it's it, it's not like Ashton Kutcher's. It doesn't knock over lamps. <laughs> no, 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 no. She says we're staying in Ontario for. She says I'm on top of it. 